Blog Talk Radio. There's some dangerous large uh, carnivore out there. And I saw that bird pick a young deer off the bird and fly away. And uh, it was just about getting dark, and we started panicking, running down the bridge, not really having any clue of storing rocks in our vicinity, good-sized rocks. And uh, I stopped long enough to get a 357 out of my backpack and look back, and that's when I thought I saw one. Company. Um, with me, as always, is my good friend and mm-hmm. expert. Oh, are they? There are no experts in big pudding. There are no but, experts. Uh, <laughs> my my good friend and fellow Bigfoot researcher Shane Corson. Shane, how are you this evening? I am. I'll be honest. I am beat. I am tired, tired, tired. <laughs> I've had a couple hours, a couple hours sleep over this weekend, and then we had the uh, great event at the uh, at Hopsquatch presenting some stuff uh, and sharing uh, what the Tillamook group's about. But you know, I spent two nights out in the Tillamook area and I got no sleep, <laughs> so I'm tired. <laughs> <laughs> so what what kept you up all night last night? Uh, I can't say definitively. I cannot say uh, <laughs> something kept me awake. <laughs> well, that and. Uh, uh, yeah, just uh, the being out in the woods. Uh, you know, usually I sleep really well, but you know, we had some some possible activity this weekend, and uh, uh, the little wires in my head get going, and it's hard for me to sleep. And uh, I put myself in some rather uncomfortable situations uh, for uh, as far as sleeping is concerned, uh, trying out some new things, and uh, you know, the body took the toll, but uh, I think it was worth it. <laughs> I'll, so... I'll say differently tomorrow. <laughs> you can, you know what they say. You can sleep when we can sleep when we're dead. So, <laughs> right, man, pushing daisies. But we had, we were. Uh, I made it out for a while. Jeez, uh, with that last night, it was last night. So, yeah, um, we. Uh, I know that there was. We had some friends in from 
Montana, um, Tom and uh, uh, I'm, lo- uh, I'm losing her name. Um, Tom and his wife. <laughs> yes. From uh, Montana came out and uh, and stayed Friday and Saturday night. And I know that there were several of our our team members, you included, that that went out Friday night and. Um, I know, you know, there was what was def- defined as a a uh, tree knock uh, that both was recorded and was uh, heard by. Did you did, um, did you hear that one? Or I know that Cindy woke up to what she described as a, a tree knock, and then. Um, if, yeah, and, and you, know, you got uh, uh, and you actually recorded it. I did, yeah, and I I uh, I believe. Well, I had to go back to the audio, but I believe I did record the same wood knock that she, or you know, possible wood knock. We call it a wood knock, but uh, um, I, I believe I recorded the same one. I I did hear a uh, well, actually both uh, heard a few uh, Friday night. Uh, last night, I heard just the one, but it was a solid knock uh, from the general direction that we usually get. Um, knocks or uh, you know so-called knocks. So I, I do. I have a ton of body to go, ton of body and and uh, specifically the Friday night into well Saturday morning uh, was a stellar night. Tons of audio, some really um, neat stuff going on there. I, 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 you know, the possibilities are are out there, but I had something large grunting and making some odd sounds uh, near my truck. And I purposely put myself outside the larger camp that was set up. I placed myself further out, kind of all lonesome. And uh, I think it paid off. I really do. Uh, I think it was a good choice. It was an area that uh, Gunner, you, and, and Jess, part of the Tillman group, uh, Jess Southern, uh, had had maybe possibly a rock thrown at you guys. And it's got a little bit of history there as well. So it's a ton of really interesting audio to go through. I'm pretty excited about it. And uh, I'm, yeah, just there was a lot of vocals and, uh, you know, for for me personally, we're talking either, it's something big. So I'm, we're talking bear or some other unknown because this thing hung around for a long time. We're not talking a half hour. We're not talking an hour. We're talking closer to a couple hours in this area. And at times was loud, but at times was Stealthy. I mean, stealthy. And you really have to pay attention to the audio. Uh, you know, even looking at on uh, Sonic Visualizer, uh, you miss some stuff because you're looking for some of the bigger hits. At least I do. And uh, mm-hmm. when I'm listening to it on the audio, you know, and of course it's open to interpretation, but interesting stuff. I'm telling you, just I, I really find it really interesting. So um, I, I, the whole weekend uh, was interesting, and I tried to mimic some of the stuff we did the uh, early Friday into Saturday morning uh, into what we did last night to see if I can get the same sort of responses and same sort of scenario going on. And um, to some extent, I think we were successful, but it was a lot quieter. There was a full moon last night. Um, and and there was a lot of different things going on. You know, the weather was a lot nicer. And so who knows? It's going to be interesting to look at the audio and, and uh, see what we pull out of it. I've, you know, I know Larry... Uh, I've given him a couple of files he sent off to David Ellis of the Project. And 
hope to hear back from David soon. Uh, I believe he's probably listening in on our show, and uh, and uh, maybe you know he, he'll he'll find some interesting things like I thought I you know not only heard in person but had recorded. So. Well, that's the uh, as nice as we have collaboration with with uh, David and as well as some other uh, friends in Bigfooting. But uh, yeah, I'm not. Other when you you came back from Washington with like um, what sounds a lot like chest slapping, uh, that was about the most excited I've ever seen you over uh, audio. So. <laughs> I knew I knew that yeah. I mean there was something compelling in there, and uh, I haven't had a chance to hear everything yet, but uh, it was fun. I mean, yeah. it, um, we uh, our our uh, the Tillamook Forest Group was was were the presenters this this month at uh, at Hopsquatch uh, was our first public uh, presentation, and uh, it was a lot of fun to do. Uh, you know, we had a few technical hiccups and. And uh, but right. we got to share some of of uh, the stuff that we've collected over the the last actually three years now. That stuff has been um, we've had a presence in the area, which started with with uh, a report uh, from Larry's daughter. And uh, and what one of the that was cool, and we did our, even our presentation was collaborative with our different members and uh, Jared. Cadell was uh, was one of the initial investigators of that report, and uh, one of one of the most thorough uh, reports I've ever read as far as far as detail and and stuff. He did. You know, Derek's a very detailed guy. He's a police officer. He knows how to collect evidence, um, and 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 interview witness, witnesses. So it's it's uh, great to have somebody with uh, that's skill set and he's very pragmatic very you know uh, we we talk about the discipline of uh, not make drawing conclusions from from evidence that you know aren't supported directly very clearly by the evidence and, and he is he is one of the our members that really has that discipline and uh, I know he's on the line um, are we ready for Jared I believe so. I'm just, you know, we have a lot of callers online. I'm not sure of his number. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. Yeah, I don't want to take the wrong number here. Uh, I believe uh, I have a couple here of possibility. I can guess here. Uh, <laughs> uh, I will go with, um, see if I am correct. We're going to play the uh, call in. Jared, is that you, lottery. Jared? Hello, Jared. Take that as a no. Let me try this. <laughs> Hello, Jared. Hello, Jared. Yeah, this is Jared. You got me. There you are. Okay, I was wrong. Yeah, there's three. There, I got about one, two, four. Actually, I got four, four, five or three numbers on here. So I, uh, I guess second. So we're good to go. <laughs> and I apologize to the first caller. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right. At least you didn't get all through all four of them. So. Yeah. 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 Well, uh, thanks for joining us, Jerry, man. Uh, you did a really, uh, really stellar job, I thought, with uh, at, at the Hopscotch event with, um, you know, your short uh, insert there and uh, talking about the foundation and what got the Tillamook group going. And and uh, I loved your insight. Uh, you got to, you know, as a police, police officer and uh, 
uh, you're you know militarily trained and a lot of backgrounds and been all around the world. You brought a different and really unique aspect to to the presentation, and uh, you know I've heard I've heard you talk before about this stuff, but uh, you know you, do you want to talk a little bit about um, you know the what you shared with with the audience the uh, hopscotch event and uh, you know and and whatnot. Sure, um, you want me to kind of talk about just sort of my first experience going out into the Tillamook area and just kind of what prompted yeah, us to yeah. go to that area. Okay. Exactly. You well, can start from the beginning and, and, and fill us in. Yeah, well, it, you know, initially, um, you know, Cindy and I, you know, Cindy, my wife, um, you know, we responded to a report that was posted on the BFRO website um, about some activity that was going on in the Tillamook Forest area. Um you know, in in reading the report, it was it was a recent report that was posted at the time, and there was some audio, and uh, so that was compelling. Um, so we ended up contacting the witnesses, um, Larry and Mark. You know, who of course are are now both members of the group as well. Um, actually, there would be no group without either one of them. Um, but we contacted them. We went to the area, and we listened to the recording that they had made, the audio that they had captured. And um, I'd heard the same type of audio in Washington up in the Olympic Peninsula. Um, whenever um, I actually was with somebody, we made a recording of some audio up there, and I was there and experienced it. Um, where you know we were up on a ridge, and I could hear well, there was something below us that was howling, and just the power of it, the reverberations going through your body. You know, that was all something that uh, that the uh, tape recorder is not going to capture or the digital recorder is not going to capture that but when you I went back and listened to that it was still you know it, it was pretty impressive um so you know fast forward whenever i met larry and mark they had their recording larry described this recording is you know whenever they made it when he was there he felt these reverberations and the power he was describing all this stuff and i'm thinking okay i, I experienced the same thing and then he played the recording for us and I listened to it, and it sounded a lot like what I heard up in Washington. And the one that I had heard up in Washington, when I first heard it, the first thing that went through my mind was, or whenever I was experiencing it was, that's some type of big primate. I've been in jungles around the world where there is, you know, monkeys and apes, and, you know, known primates. I've experienced some of the behavior. I've seen it. Um, I've heard the sounds that they've made, and that's what it sounded like to me, although it was just a lot bigger and just more powerful you know, and it, 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 that's what it sounded like to me. And so whenever we listened to the audio that Larry had, um, it sounded very similar to the audio that, you know, that I, you know, experienced up, or the stuff that I experienced up in Washington. So it was very compelling. Um, so after listening to all that and checking out the area, you know, there was a lot of bear sign, um, deer, elk, you know, there was signs of, of big animals living in the area. There's, you know, berries. There's just, you know, water. In, you know, in my opinion, anywhere a bear can live, you know, potentially a Sasquatch can live. So there was, you know, the, the environment was conducive to a big mammal or animal living in that area. So we went out a couple of weeks later, and it was Cindy and I, Mark and Larry, just the four of us, and, you know, we decided to camp out. And, and see, you know, if if we could experience anything or just kind of see what was going on out there. Um, it was at, it was right around, I don't know, I believe sometime after 9 o'clock in the evening, 9 o'clock at night, we were sitting around the campfire, 
Um, Cindy, you know, got up and kind of did a little whoop call just to see, you know, if anything would respond. And, and she was kind of joking around when she did it. But right afterwards, um, we got a response. Um, there was something, you know, that was big and powerful that started howling. It was up on a ridge. And then there was another one that started responding and howling back and forth. So they're going back and forth with these two different howls, and we're down in the middle of it. Um, and it was, you know, the same type of thing that I heard up in Washington. And, uh, you know, we had recorders going, so we did capture all that audio on the recorder. But, again, you know, the audio recording is a lot different than what you actually experience in real life because you just can't capture the reverberations and the power. But, you know, when you take the recording that Mark and Larry had initially made and, you know, mm-hmm. Things that have brought them out to the area. Then we went out and uh, we did our own investigation, and we had, you know, experience with with vocalizations. Um, you know, it, that is kind of, you know, when you start putting it all together, I guess that is sort of the genesis, I guess, of the Tillamook Forest Group. Um, that's kind of yeah. where it all sort of started because there there was there was more than just one piece of evidence or one story. It's like, whoa, something's going on here. You know, you can't come out and say definitively, oh, that you know, a Sasquatch population in the area, but there's some really compelling audio that we've captured as a group for the last three years. Right. And I concur. And I, I will uh I will play a, a piece of the audio now. I'm not gonna play it, it's like a minute sixteen, but I'll play a piece of it just for the and we have played this before on the show because we've had Cindy uh Cadell, your your wife on the show before, but I'll play a piece of this right now uh just for the audience uh viewing pleasure. I mean, that, of course, you know, is a short snippet. And I know <clears throat> projecting these sounds over blog talk and over radio, it, you know, they don't come across that well most of the time. Um, it still sounds interesting. And, you know, it's not the same as when you're in person, when you hear these sounds. You know, even, you know, I've heard knocks in person, and I'm like, wow, I felt them in the whole nine. And you hear them on your recorder, and you play them, and people are like, Eh, it's not that impressive, but you know, uh, <laughs> so audio doesn't come across that well sometimes. Uh, the airways, <laughs> but that was that, uh, still, still stellar audio. Yeah, and I, I think um, yeah, as far as audio goes, I mean, you're exactly right. Experience it in person and listening to a, a recording of it is totally different. But as far as audio recordings go, I think when you compare that particular recording with other ones that are out there, it's it's very interesting to say the least. Yeah. Well, the 
compilation that I mean that we we're getting and we we have. Uh, you know, we we uh, it's really it's really a neat thing the collaboration. Um, you know, as you know, I'm I'm, I'm a limit project member and, and Gunner is and, and Jared. You know, you, you practically are. But uh, uh, <laughs> well, yeah, the, the I'm thing, an affiliate. <laughs> <laughs> you're an affiliate, but still, the the yeah. amount of audio that uh, we have and that we vet through or, and share with other groups, uh, specifically, you know, like the Olympic Project as one of them. You know, I send a ton of stuff to David Ellis, and he, you know, he goes through it. And a lot of times, we'll send him stuff blindly, like, okay, here's a here's a 28 minute segment of audio, and uh, you know, what is there anything interesting there? You know, and he'll look through it and and share some stuff with us and 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 whatnot, and tell us, well, you got something or you don't, or it's just it's interesting, you know, what bottom line is. But uh, you you know, the Tilma Group, one of the coolest areas, the amount of audio, like you mentioned before, it's the amount of audio that is in this area that is is just so dang interesting, doesn't match any animal that I've been around before. You know, I, I mean, I, don't, I haven't seen a Sasquatch make these sounds. Um, you know, I, I can look at the, the history of the area with the reported Sasquatch sightings. I can look at some of the scenarios that I've been placed in and experienced, as well as my other Potomac members, including yourself. And and, and formulate um, an idea uh, and some opinions, and not 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 absolutely sound or definitive opinions, but that area just gets a ton of audio. I mean, it's it's weird. I, I don't get it, but it's awesome. Yeah, yeah. We, I mean, we're going out doing other things. I mean, you know, we have flares, trail cams. I mean, we're trying to collect other evidence or capture other evidence, but it just so happens. I mean, the audio is is what we're getting and there's just we just have a ton of it yeah you know, well, no no absolutely one really, yeah go ahead one of the things i really no, appreciate ahead. about what you're and one of the skill sets that that you bring to the film the way that you approach evidence i mean you're you're one of the the leading disciplinarians in our group of not drawing conclusions about what what uh you know, what we hear or what, and say, oh, that's, you know, we don't, we're we're developing a discipline of not stating things definitively when it isn't, you know, you got to be able to, to connect the dots on evidence, which, of course, that's something that you ever do every day in your, as in your profession. So what, yeah. I mean, as a, as a police officer, what, what do you, you know, how do you, how does your approach how does that influence your approach as, as a Bigfoot researcher? Well, you know, I guess if you break it down, like in terms of a police investigation or police work, um, it, it doesn't matter what you know or, you know, any of that stuff. It only matters what you can prove, you know, and, and the proof comes from the evidence. Um, you know, with Bigfoot research, you know, it's, you know, proof is so hard to come by. I mean, we have a lot of compelling audio, you know, there's, video out there. I mean, if you talk about the Patterson-Gimlin film, um, you know, there's there's video evidence out there, but there's always people who are skeptical of it or who can, you know, one way or the other say, oh, yep, that's that's real or it's fake. Um, you know, I think without having that definitive proof, you know, at that point, you just have to, you know, 
um, you go through the process of elimination, you know, any type of investigation you do, you you start with, okay, this is what I've got, and then you start eliminating things. Okay, I know it's not this. I know it's not that. And you just go through that process of elimination, and then you're left with, you know, some type of an unknown. Um, and you get enough of that. I mean, it's still not definitive proof, but, you know, at some point you have to start looking at all this, you know, all these different vocalizations, I mean, whatever it is, if you can't, um, you know, or, or if you eliminate all these other things, but you're still coming up with this X factor that nobody, you know, can say what it is for sure, then you've got something that's unknown that's, you know, creating these experiences that people are having, you know. Um, and so I think you just have to look at all the different, yeah, well, I guess there's patterns in it as well. Um, you, know, you listen to the vocalizations that we've made down here in Oregon. You know, compare them to some of the, you talk about the information sharing with some of the ones they've got up in Washington with Dave Ellis, and you compare all that stuff. They're very similar. And so if you have this happening there, you know, the same thing happening here, you know, the same thing happening in, you know, other states um, and, you know, places thousands of miles away, I mean, I think um, – you know, you just compare it all, and, and you get to that scenario of more likely than not, which is still not definitive proof, but, you know, you're starting to kind of get there just putting it all together, if that makes sense. Absolutely. I mean, and that's, it's just like um, sightings. Now, you had a a visual uh, that that you won't, you won't come out and say it was a Bigfoot, but basically when you... You, you get down to something that is walking on two legs and has arms that swing. At some point, you're down to, uh, and and then it, it kind of falls out of human size, size range at some point. But you, you you get down to it's human or an, something, or something other unknown. Else. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and like I said, the, the problem I have with that in my own mind is I couldn't make out enough detail. But, you know, the... In all likelihood, whatever it was I saw, just the way that it all happened, um, a human probably couldn't have done or, you know, been there and gone that quick. I mean, it was, I don't know, just like a lot of other sightings, it was just that quick. Mm -hmm. Um, But, yeah, but you're right. It was either human or something else. There was no chance that it was a bear or, you know, any type of misidentification that way. So, but yeah, but you know, like I said, I've we've talked about it before. I'm just real hesitant to come out and say, "Oh yeah, that's what it was that I saw," just because I couldn't make out enough detail. But when you break it all down and look at the circumstances around it, um, you know, it's I don't know. <laughs> I'm still on the I don't know. <laughs> I know I try I tried to pin you down to a percentage of <laughs> what was the percentage of of uh, that you know that you believe it could have been a human. And and there was a little bit more in the context of the 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 story is that there was a branch that moved that a guy yeah. that was six five couldn't he had to run to jump touch so it you know you're you're getting on the the point where really it's unlikely that it was a human yeah so and you know, the only thing is my initial impression was oh that's that's a person walking down this road I mean I guess the backstory we were on our way into a campsite and, uh, you know, we're driving up this road. I'm driving uphill. The sun's in my eyes, you know, of course. Um, and 
I see what I think is a person walking down the road, and and in, when I saw it, this person I thought it was, I mean, it looked like they were wearing like a white T-shirt. It was just a, you know, somebody like wearing white is what I thought initially. And I thought, oh, cool, somebody's coming down here to guide us into camp. And I thought, wait, nobody knows we're coming into camp. You know, it turns out we're five miles away from the camp. And then it's there, and then it's just gone. It goes off the road, and there's this big branch that starts shaking. You know, there's no wind blowing. All the other tree branches are still, um, you know, Cindy's next to me in my truck, and I'm like, did you see that? And she's like, what did you see? And I'm like, well, somebody was just walking down the road. And so we, you know, we're there within 30, 45 seconds, and this branch is still moving, um, and there's a big game trail going down in this area, and, and there's nothing there. It's just gone, and the branch was nine feet up off the ground um right you know then so you know it didn't come to find out later in this area there have been a lot of reports of an albino sasquatch that's been spotted there but i didn't know that at the time you know so when you kind of put all that together um i'm still not going to lock in a, a number as far as a percentage <laughs> but there's a, really, there's a really good chance that that's probably what i saw um i, I don't think that a uh, human you know, could have disappeared that quick. I mean, yeah, you never know. I mean, as a police officer, I've had them get away from me that quick in the past. But, you know, just when you look at all the circumstances, that's probably what it was. But I'm still, to me, it's still all about evidence, what you can prove. And in my mind, I couldn't make out enough detail. And so I can't definitively say that's what it was. And so even with my own sighting, if that's what you want to call it, I'm still skeptical on that stuff because I think it, it comes down to what you can prove. You know, and and I I think a lot of the audio that we've collected is very compelling. When you, especially when you start comparing it to what you know they have up in the Olympic Project and in other places, you know, I mean, because audio is the most open to interpretation. I mean, you know, we can all be sitting around the fire and hear something, and you heard a whoop, and I heard a howl, and and Shane heard a bark. I mean, we might describe it differently, so but we all heard the same thing, and and it also. it also requires the most context. You know, all evidence requires context. So what what else you heard, you know, you heard a, some kind of audio event. What else went on that, that tied that into something mm-hmm. other than a known animal or, you know. Yeah. And we've had, and that's that's important. And, and I think that's part of what you bring, um, a, you know, is a huge value of, of having you as part of uh, the Tillamook the Forest Group is you know how to process evidence you also don't i mean you discipline us because i have to catch myself at not stating things you know jumping to a conclusion we recently had one of our members that had a daylight uh visual encounter of of mm-hmm. something bipedal and large um but the the witness still couldn't definitively say because it was a because of distance so kind of the same thing you're down to it was a something bipedal walking in the in the woods human or something else because there's no other bipedal animal out there so you know bears go up on two legs but the the area that this visual encounter took place was was not it was not a bear because of the terrain and it, you know the length of time that it the the behavior of of the subject. So it came down. It comes down to it was a person, or it was something 
that we don't know, you know, if it isn't part of the, the known record of animals. So, uh, mm-hmm. but, but you, I, you know, I pick up my, I try to match your, you know, the language that you use. And we talked about this prior to our presentation. It was like, you know, we need to be very careful about not stating things definitively. And like, I heard a, now internally we might be a little more loose, you know. I might say I think this was this, but, and throw out theory. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like I say, it comes down to, it doesn't matter what you know. It matters what you can prove. You know, I've I've experienced stuff there in that area, and it's like, okay, that is not normal. You know, that's, in my mind, that's that's a big primate, you know, but I can't Mm -hmm. come out and say definitively that's what it is. You know, right. and so, yeah, I think you do have to be careful saying, yep, this happened, that's a Bigfoot. You know, right. you, you just can't do that unless unless you actually see a Bigfoot doing that same thing, which, you know, that's, you know, I guess, depending on who you talk to, but, um, you know, that's that's something that's very rare, you know. The, the, the really uh, interesting thing about audio, though, there is a record of it, you know, and it's something yeah. that you can record and store away and compare it to other known animals and other um, possible, uh, um, vo- you know, other vocalizations. Uh, and, and, you know, if that's what we're, we're talking about, we're talking about knocks or rock cranking, whatever, from other areas and compare it, you know, and file it away uh, and, and register signatures and comparisons. Uh, that's what I think is really nice about the Tillamook area is that, we do get a lot of, of uh, audio and strange audio, um, sometimes compelling audio, not definitive, but really interesting. And when you compare that to other areas and other groups that are working and recording uh, and, and maybe get some patterns, some signatures that represent something bigger than just the telemetry, it's some very good comparisons and uh, you know, that's one of the goals for me, for me personally with the Tillamook group. You know, though there have been, uh, you know, hi- historically, uh, there have been a lot of reports in this area of, of daylight and nighttime uh, sightings and encounters, and including, you know, like uh, Gunnar was alluding to, uh, one of our members that possibly saw something that may, may, or, may or may not have been a Sasquatch, uh, something unknown, but, um, uh, you know, uh, I'll use a comparison, and I use this broadly because <clears throat> I don't know what it was, but, you know, just, just last night I did an experiment. Uh, I set up, uh, based on what happened to me the night prior with audio and stuff and hearing stuff in person, uh, the, the Friday night out there I, I spent the night in my tent and had something near my truck where I placed my audio. I placed the audio on my tire. Um, which I don't normally do. It was really late, and I thought, you know, I'm just going to place on my tire and, and, and face it in a certain direction. And uh, you were being lazy. we had, yeah, oh yeah, I was being lazy. <laughs> well, uh, you know, quite, quite honestly, a little bit, yes. Uh, but we had done but, some but vocalizations out. Yeah, it's funny. I said it yielded some results. I mean, yes, you know, we it did. It's funny because uh, you do all these things very specifically, and then you do something random, and you get. You get some off the hook kind of stuff. Yeah. yeah. Completely yeah. random. Uh, but I did direct in an area that we do get a lot of knocks and stuff in the early morning hours uh, periodically. And so 
I had, you know, was sleeping in my tent and got this really cool audio and something, uh, something large, uh, sounding bipedal, uh, making some very peculiar sounds, uh, sounds that were like, ooh, ooh, I mean, just very awe sounds. Uh, and th- I know for a fact there's a bear in this area. Uh, we we found scat and and Jared found it, uh, a, an impression that was m- most definitely a bear uh, down the road. So we know there's a bear in this area. So I always keep that in the back of my head. But this thing hung around for such a long time, and I could you know I had I actually purposely uh, left some stuff on 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 in my area that uh, you know food wise uh, you know I'm not baiting. I just left it out there. Um, I didn't put it away. <clears throat> it was empty. Uh, but, you know, the scent-wise, you know, for whatever reason. But, uh, yeah, so after all was said and done, that the first time I listened to the audio, I was like, wow, there, there was something at, right next to my truck and maybe even touched my truck at times, and I heard all these weird sounds. So I went back out there, and so I decided to do an experiment. I put my tent in the same area the following night, and I didn't sleep in it. I actually slept in my truck. I covered up all the windows, and I had a monocular uh, night vision owl um, so I could, you know, basically turn the night into day and look around. And the point of this is that I saw something above my tent in the background that looked like a stump. When I uh, It was about uh, after I heard a knock. It was 325 in the morning, so I looked at my phone. I heard a loud knock. And I should have stayed awake for a while. And I decided to scan around with the monoculus. And I saw something back behind my tent, uh, 40, no, 35 plus yards back. Um, and when I saw it, I couldn't make out anything. It looked like a stump. It looked just like a huge ass stump, uh, large. Um, it just it looked weird. And I was like, there's no stump back there. And I was watching, and, you know, and I'm really tired, I'll, I'll be honest. And my eyes probably were playing tricks on me. And so I thought I saw this thing moving. And I thought about getting out, and I said, no, no I'm going to sit here. I'm just going to sit here and watch this thing. And eventually it didn't move, well, not, so I, I uh, right or wrong, I, I fell asleep. I turned off the monocular, and I went to sleep. And I woke up probably 25 minutes, 30 minutes later. Um, it was after 4. And it was gone. It wasn't there. Can I call that a Sasquatch? No, heck no, I can't. Can I call it a regular? Sure. Because I went up there and the, the ground was kind of smashed down and there was nothing there. Uh, and now, you know, this monocular doesn't record. You know, I could have put my phone up to it, my iPhone, and policy tried to record it. But I w- you just would have seen a dark mass and the light would have flashed through the window and... Um, yeah, so bottom line is it, was in, it wasn't definitive, and I don't know what it was. It could have been a bear. It could have been, I don't know, but uh, not definitive by no means. But that whole, you know, this whole past weekend was very interesting to me, audio-based uh, or audio-wise. And some of the things that happened out there um, were just very, very interesting. And I, I know Jared heard some interesting things. Uh, he won't, you know, obviously can't call Sasquatch, but some interesting calls and boots and howls and whatnot. Yeah, well, the, like the, the, the yeah. interesting thing, I mean, that that the area that you were in is the exact area where uh, Jess and I had, you know, our, and I don't say it was a rock drone because I pick up the cue from Jared is like, you know what? And I catch myself doing that sometimes. Like, well, we're, 
where the big hook through the rock, well, no, here's what I know. And what I can prove is there all, I call it the crash. Is that and right. I, and I've listened to that audio again this weekend several times, and that whole event was um, Jess is telling me a story, and she does this agitated chimp sound, and it's like, and immediately after that, this loud crash happens, and the mm-hmm. next day, so if we're finding if we're following chain of evidence, the next day we're looking behind her. And where she was sitting, and within two feet of where she was sitting, there was a, we found a round four to five inch diameter rock, which Jess, I think, now is, is has in her possession. And and we thought, well, that, you know, we didn't, that's the, our best case, you know, our, our, our hypothesis is that's what caused the, the crash. At the time, yeah. she actually looked, looked, in the direction that the sound had come from and saw brush move close to her. So, so like something had hit it. So that's, but, but do I know that it was a, do, I don't go tell people that, that, uh, I saw yeah big threw a rock at us. No, we, we had heard other, like you're, you're, we're always listening when we're out in the field, we're listening for, you know, the big cool audio, which we've had some of that, but also subtle stuff like branches snapping and, and uh, and we've had that that evening, and that's actually the location in the hillside that you saw this shape from um, is the same location. I mean, in in you know within well, feet or that, yards of where where this took place. So that's why I placed myself there because we had a larger camp set up, and I wanted to put myself outside the larger camp, just be on the outskirts, uh, spe- specifically in that area for that exact reason, uh, an area that we've got other anomalous things happen, you know, happen. Um, actually, we have uh, Larry Turner, you know, part of the Tillamook group and, and presenter um, uh, at the, the Hopsquatch. Man, I'd like to get him on the show, not just to talk about audio, but he knows a little bit about the history of this area, it's, you know, in, in the past history with possible rock throwings going on there. So, Larry, are you there, Larry Turner? Yeah, here. <clears throat> hey, Larry. Yeah, I'm here. So we we're just, you know, I know you're listening. So, you know, you've talked to some of the rangers out in this area and you're friends with them, and there's other reports uh, in this area, specifically some of those camps of rocks being thrown into the camps, correct? Yes. Yes, I have. Um, a couple of rangers have reported that to me, but these are going back um, a few years ago. Uh, with regard to that, uh, visual sightings and, um, for lack of a better term, rocks and things like that. Actual, actually, even <clears throat> uh, folks that uh, we've met within the area that have actually offered up what they've seen as well. Was that kind of having a hard time hearing, but was that the right answer? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's basically what I was getting at. Just, there was a history there of this sort of possible phenomenon going on, and we're not talking about steep cliffs or rocks rolling down. There's no rocks rolling down. I mean, they, they come out of, they come or they don't, you know? So uh, right. that's just the uh, scenario. Um, but, uh, you know, uh, I, I want to say, Larry, you did a phenomenal job today at the, the Hopscotch event with your audio presentation and stuff, and I know the audience really, really... Um, 
connected. Uh, a lot of the questions were directed at you, and a lot of the questions were directed at Jared. But the audio aspect, man, do you want to talk about that a little bit? Uh, um, which part? Well, basically, I had kind of a little computer glitch, so I was a little frustrated. But once it started working, yeah. I was okay. <laughs> well, but, um, you know, we're talking about bioacoustics and 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 yeah. looking at known animals and stuff, and you shared a lot of that. Well, basically, I um, a lot of people don't understand what bioacoustics is. Bioacoustics is basically an organic uh, formed uh, sound. Um, organics meaning whales, uh, terrestrial animals, uh, birds, um, even fish. Um, that's bioacoustics. The bioacoustic field that I selected to, to uh, study more was the terrestrial bioacoustics, not so much birds, but with regards to uh, mammals or frogs, amphibians, insects, and, and the ones that are pretty much around in the area that we have. And I've logged every single one of those and matched them, with these sounds, with the McCoy uh, Library of Sound. You know, so what? Wait, library. Okay, what is that? What is that for people that don't know what you just said? The McCoy Library of Sound? Uh-huh. That basically online, you just type up that, and it's a, it's a, a whole sound library. It's an accredited uh, uh, research uh, library, and basically all these sounds are, um, one of their criteria is to physically see the subject making that sound. They've got a log number, like say uh, bull elk log number 14506. Uh, then it has a criteria. What did you see it, or was it seen, or was it not seen? And most of 99% of all these things have been seen making this sound. And then it's categorized. And they may go back another year or two later, and they might pick up, say, four or five bull elk, building them back and forth. Again, that's categorized. And the same with like with that, any other thing like uh, bears or, or well or American black bear. Um, there's all sorts of of animal sounds uh, that you could access. He uses a standard to not to to place your subject matter against. What I mean is is that everything that we categorize or take a look at, we put in uh, basically unknown origin, unknown unknown. Um, of unknown origin, basically, we don't know what it is. Then you take a look at that and t- and rule out the known sounds within that area or the known animal species within that area, which I've got categorized in a little tiny library. So I could tell you it's not a possum. I could tell you it's not a raccoon. I could tell you it's not a bear, bear or an elk because of the resonance frequencies of where these these animals and insects lie within the, the uh, logarithmic scale uh, on the sonic visualizer. So a lot of what when when we get audio, so we record, like we were talking about it at Hopsquatch, is that we go out now. Uh, initially, two years ago when we started, it was the very first time that I was uh, out there, and it was the very first time that we were deploying a TAS camp, and right. uh, the the event didn't get recorded. We, you know, technical difficulties, and both Cindy and I had recorders on with us, and kicked ourselves later for not, like, you know, uh, having a backup for for the because uh, we were so impressed with the TASCAM. Well, the the uh, 
and at that and after that time we started deploying more and more audio and initially you Larry personally like processed a lot of that that audio hours and hours of audio and initially the way that the process was to sit and listen to it is that correct yeah i'd listen to it at work while i was working Lots of uh, static sound, and then every once in a while you'd hear something, and then I'd log the timestamp of where it was and continue on. Uh, Mark you, thought I yeah. was completely nuts listening to all that because basically you are hearing a ground uh, for background noise is kind of a static type of hiss sound. So <laughs> I don't know how I did it without getting a headache. <laughs> I don't know how you did it either. I mean, I and and a, a large part of the reason that and Jared alluded to this, is there normally what would happen in this kind of incident where there's a report of a, a event, um, and, and this was initially a BFRO report, Jared and Cindy in, picked it up and, and investigated it, and normally then the investigator submits their report and that's it. It's another anecdotal you know, piece to the puzzle that becomes part of the, the largest database on Bigfoot sightings in the world, the BFRO database, and that's it. But but what was different here is we had a guy that maybe has a little OCD. I'm just saying I'm not a you know I'm not a psychologist and I don't play one on TV. But <laughs> but but to you and and um, you drug Mark up there, and you guys kept going to this area for a solid year, um, very regularly, you know with. And what at that time, what really, what were you trying to accomplish? I wanted to know more and record more, uh, gather more information. Um, and really, that, we, yeah, that was for you. Yeah, just for me. Uh, yeah. You know, basically it was, uh, and Cindy was always part of that, um, Cindy and Jared, that is, was always part of that because every time that Mark and I would go up, I would report to Cindy. I felt there should be a chain of command. Um that that way she would know what was going on. I wanted to have that crosstalk back and forth regardless. I don't believe in holding back information, never have, and I just felt that was really important. And Mark and I went up there every two weeks year-round. I mean, we four-wheel drive up in three feet of snow and snow camped up there. You know, it's like that's what our motive operated. It could be a Noah's Ark night. We were We were up there trying to, Trying to figure out or, or, you know, just gather more data. And that, that was just in the, the juvenile stage of things. I had an Olympus uh, recorder that, you know, didn't have much, you know, and it just built on from there. And and then, um, so you, what, so what a kind of the, the genesis of the Tillamook Force group was, I found the report online I found your report that you'd submitted and then and Jared and Cindy had investigated and it had this audio file attached to it and I, I like that is that is effing awesome and uh I got a hold of Cindy and cuz I we were friends on Facebook um and she was kind enough to in, set it up so that I could go up there I said you know would you mind sharing the the location because on the, in the report it was kept, you know, it was uh, kind of generic, you did, so that uh, you, you don't want to put some place specific if you have any plans of going back there. And you and Mark and Cindy and Jared were going up there 
you know, after that. So, uh, and she was kind enough to set up a, a, a outing where I got I first met you, Larry, and and uh, and Cindy, and we had and driving up there, and funny because. Um, I, I think Jared and, and Shane will back me up on this. Driving up to this area, my I had zero expectation that there was anything was going to happen because it was like there is you know there is a lot of ATV activity and there was there's a lot of fire going on and I'm thinking what why what Bigfoot in its right mind would hang out in this area? I mean it just seems like it doesn't seem you know to make Bigfoot logic, which I don't. I also am not a Bigfoot psychologist, nor do I play one on TV. But the the idea was, you know, and and then we had the, what we call the crescendo night, where we had a bunch of audio stuff happen, and I'm like, um, I was hooked, and and uh, I thought because the, this area has this this history, and it'd been, you know, it'd been almost a year exactly prior to when I I uh, came up and, and met you guys. That and like, man, there's stuff still going on. This seems like an area that would be a great research area. So we we talked back and forth, and and cool things for me personally in in that in in getting to know you guys is what we were all very deferential. You know, it's like, well, you you know, to me, I was just honored that that Jared and Cindy allowed me to come up and and have that experience and and. Uh, Get it, get to know that area, and you know. And I had been in the BFRO for quite a while, and and Cindy and Jared were pretty new, and like, well, no, you be the, you know, it's like, no, no, I don't want to be the the lead investigator. You be the lead investigator. Anyway, I I finally, um, I'll, I'll accepted it, and and we've just been, and it, it's it's kind of just a fun. Uh, we needed somebody to say, hey, I'm I'm in charge of every, you know, of what's going on. And we developed standard operating procedures. We one of the cool things about our group for me is that we have a lot of scientists in our group. I mean, people that have a huge background in science. Um, Larry is a you know uh, is NASA certified electrologist by trade, which is a science of, of measurement, right? You yep. you you basically determine what what an inch is. I mean, when I when I use a you know ruler, that's Larry's backed that up. So I thought that. So if my measurements off, I call Larry and say, "Dude," but no, but seriously, that the the diversity in our groups. We've got you know Jared, who's a police officer. What I mean, how many groups you know have the benefit of somebody who has that background and skill set? In fact, we have two police officers, Greg Grazer and Postal. Yeah, yeah and we have myself and Mark. Right. Oh, that's true. And then we have Cindy who. Who has is not only a professional photographer, Cindy is also a a uh, has a degree in anthropology, not archaeology. I apologize, Cindy. I may have misstated it at one point. But uh, but um, and then and we have two nurses, which takes a hell of a lot of education to to be a nurse. You know, I feel right. like I, I think I'm the dumb guy in the room because my you know, I'm a manager. <laughs> so yeah. So but but the thing is that Jared our our Shane can say he's the dumb guy in the room, but Shane is a student of Bigfooting. The guy reads, you know, I'm a big Shane Corson fan. I know I, I might, you know, go over the top a little bit, but the guy studies 
all like studies fields of things that affect would affect Bigfoot research. You send your I like God, does this guy ever sleep? You know, you send me stuff all the time that 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 um, where you I can tell that you're out there looking for other pieces to the puzzle. You know, eight primate behavior and and just so. Well, I'm just you know, I, I'm honored to be part of a group of people that really, you know, mesh really yeah. well. And we have we have Barb, who's very close to being a biologist. So yeah, uh, she's right there. You know, so yeah, it, it, it's know, it's a great group, a great mix. Um, so, but I I want to elaborate a little bit on that with with what you, in regard to what you were saying before about that area. Now. I had the same assumptions going out to this area too in the, in the Tillamook area because of the amount of uh, people and stuff. <clears throat> but when you look at historically, even as far back as Native Americans in the surrounding areas, there was a history of Sasquatch. And then you look at some of the BFR reports and some of the reports that are online, some of the reports that are not online, there's a huge amount of history in this area of Sasquatch or reported Sasquatch activity that is very interesting. And if you look at this area and you look at the natural resources that it has, now I, I believe Sasquatch to be uh, not just, you know, very uh, sparse, but also, you know, uh, you know, not not many of them. But, I mean, it, 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 if you're going to key in on an area with natural resources and kind of maybe make it your own, um, you're, you're going to deal with the human population the best way you can. Because, well, why would you move? I mean, where are you going to go? If there's other populations and, and you're, in, you're kind of caught in a nugget area, this area has a ton of elk, a ton of deer. It's got bears. It's got berries. It's got, I mean, you're talking about not just the fauna, but the, the natural resources for water and salmon and, and, and um, steelhead and trout and also just the um, the – you know, I said the berries and uh, all the natural stuff that's out there. It is abundant. It is. I mean, it's crazy. I go out there. I'm. I'm we go into other areas. You know, looking around, and I'm constantly blown away. It, it reminds me of the Olympics uh, up in uh, Washington that we researched in as well. It reminds me of Mount Hood, another area I researched in. <clears throat> there's there's certain areas that have so so much abundance. You know that. It makes sense that something, uh, if it were to exist in there, would be there. And I, you know, it's a massive before I, diversity. Oh, it's crazy. I mean, it really is. Uh, and and all of this coexists with the human population, the human traffic, and whatnot. Now, I don't. I'm not saying that in the area that we researched that, you know, it, Sasquatch is out there. That it. Um, live there. No, no, no. I, I think it travels through there. I mean, we got uh, clear cut. Uh, there's a lot of reasons for something of this uh, Sasquatch tanker, something of this, you know, to be out in these areas. Uh, and the more you look at it, you know, the the more it makes sense to me personally uh, that they be an area that come into and do their thing and, and leave or travel through. And I'm not talking about um, migration. I'm saying it's a great area to be in and hunt and, and forage and the whole night. You know, after looking at all the evidence and the audio and stuff, it makes sense to me that this is an area that uh, 
if I were in the Sasquatches, I would probably be in this area periodically, time to time, and uh, and forage. Well, see, and that's and it, uh, honestly, it's great because we have this group of people. And one of the questions somebody asked us is, "What don't you? You guys don't always agree on everything, and that's that's true. We don't, and and we have great discussions about it, and and then you reach a point of agree to disagree. See, I I'm of the as much activity that happens in this area with with such so much frequency, I think it's part of a territory, and maybe we're saying the same thing in a different way, but I, I think they they do, that they're never too far away. I don't think they travel a thousand miles from this area. I think that they're, right. they're, they circle through this area um, fairly frequently. I think they have different bedding. I mean, we can get into, you know, what something I'm just pulling out of my butt. I mean, because uh, I, I think that they have be- different bedding areas. I think it makes sense, you know, that they wouldn't stay in the same. They're a little bit like, you know, Osama up in Laden. They don't stay in the same, sleep in the same place two nights in a row. Because they're afraid of being caught. But, well, Squatch up in Laden? What? But, but, they, <laughs> but I think that they, you know, they're never too far away because we, we record. We get audio stuff so frequently that I don't think they're running in from, you know, 10 miles away to mess with us or, or to leave us a message on our recorders. So it's it's uh, and, and everything that we talk about is, is speculation and guessing because we don't have yes. you know, a, a complete, clear picture. So all we can do is our best, you know, throw stuff out there and talk about it and, and share ideas and, and what's one of the things that's really cool is the collaboration with other groups is, is uh, you know, Larry is a great networker for, for in the, this, uh, this field and, and, and what, what, and talks and has, it's funny is Larry entered the, uh, Bigfooting having no idea who, who, who the who's who of Bigfooting was and went to Beachfoot and I get up one morning and Larry's out there, you know, holding court with John Bendernagel and Ron Moorhead and all these, you know, and he has no idea, you know, no pretense about it. He's just telling, he's just doing his Larry thing and, and networking and, and sharing uh, his, his experience with people. And, and it did, he just naturally uh, connects with people really well. And that, that's a, a, a huge benefit to our group is that Larry made connections and followed through with, with people like, you know, like David, and um, and the and John and Sarah Brown, and and big the folks in Bigfoot Ops, and uh, and a, to a large degree, why you know we we made a connection with Repman Mullis of Bigfootology was because Larry reached out to people, were sharing information, and we got a lot of collaboration with other people and corroboration of well. I'm sending you this audio. Well, we get the same audio in our area, which is, you know, hundreds of miles away. So, and that working in isolation, uh, it's almost like everybody's starting from over if you don't go outside your own group, because we're, we're, our group has now been, uh, this, this entire uh, shindig started basically three years ago. And, and uh, there's people, of course, there's people that have been doing this longer and recording audio longer and I've identified, you know, um, things that we are, and it moves your, your research 
forward faster by by uh, um, corroborating with or collaborating with other groups. Um, right. And I I applaud Larry and and other people other members of our group for doing that. So. And that's all I got to say. <laughs> I could run on a mile. It's funny because we we have a little technical difficulties. We had a cool slice of show presentation for Hop Squatch, and things kind of we were struggling to get the damn thing working. And like you know what, I can talk about Bigfoot for two hours, and you know, I just run at the mouth right. for two hours, and we want to talk about Bigfoot. Well, we could do that, yeah. You know, the audio uh, and some of the other evidence spoke for itself. I mean, people could look at that and, and see it and feel it and hear it and the whole nine. So, I mean, it spoke for itself. Uh, and like you said, we don't call it Sasquatch, per se, but it, it, it's that. Uh, the stuff in these areas, you know, and not just the Tillman Fair, but some, a lot of this audio being recorded and heard, um, it doesn't fit in parameters of known animals. Uh, a lot of times, or what we we call known animals, you know. I mean, it just it's it's odd. And I'll refer back to it again. Once again, the Tumbuk area has just got you know for us personally a lot of great audio. And, but we do a lot of other things, like Jared Cadell uh, was talking about earlier. You know, we, we uh, there's a lot of other stuff, and we found great impressions in this area. We found uh, possible bedding areas. I mean, there's just a lot going on, and but the, the the one thing is, we're humble. We're humble enough to say that we're evolving as a group. Uh, the Toma group is evolving, and we're listen, willing to listen to others, and evolve, and grow, expand, and the whole nine. Uh, we're not closed-minded like, okay, well, this is our stuff. Screw you, uh, or you know, your opinion doesn't matter. Uh, no, not at all. You know, there were some great questions brought up at the Hotspot event. Um, this evening um, that um, at times were uh, on point and times were a little harsh, I thought, but I mean, but on point, you know, and, and, and valid questions. And I thought, you know, uh, you know, Larry answered those really well and uh, we had an answer for those. It wasn't like we were close-minded enough to say, oh, you're attacking me. No, there was no attack. It was honest questions. And as a research group uh, that's really uh, fundamentally sound on, on researching the subject, the right way, uh, you know, we 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 approach those questions uh, logically, and if we can answer them, we do. If we can't, we say we can't. You know. Well, the thing is, is that that uh, we could. I had a great conversation with Tom Powell after the after Hopsquatch, and one of the cool things about Hopsquatch to me is there are people of different beliefs. And and uh, are coming at bigfooting from a different angle, and uh, you know he's telling me. And Tom, Tom is is leans towards paranormal stuff as far as and and I think I think the word paranormal gets kind of a uh, I think it gets tied in like it's ma- means magical, and paranormal just means outside the current you know understanding of of what we know with science. And and we're talking about, you know, uh, where he was when they were, they had done this basically. And uh, my my thing about the whole woo and paranormal aspect of Bigfooting is that it, it's no, one, it's no more scientific 
to eliminate all that because it doesn't fit in a box that, that I'm comfortable with. And it's not been my experience. I, my experience is I, I have not had anything paranormal that came up today at, at Hop Squad because we have, you know, friends there that are, that have, that do have, have had experiences that they describe as paranormal. But, um, and it's just kind of a, you know, agree to disagree or, and and it's great to be able to talk to people of, of other that have had experiences like that 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 I certainly have not, and uh, and and not you know, and that's what I was telling telling Tom. It's like you know, it's nice to be able to talk to somebody and and not say you're an asshole because because you don't think the same way that I do, and. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, no, no, well said, Gunner. You know, the thing about, uh, you know, uh, being on the spot and in, in the, 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 you know, the Tillamook, you know, forest group joining the Hopsquatch event to me was a plus because we can collaborate and talk to others and just share a little bit of some of the stuff that we've, we've uh, gathered over the years. You know, it's a, you know, Tillamook forest is a young group in comparison to many others, given. And I don't think we have any problem saying that uh, we make mistakes. Uh, we've made tons of mistakes, but we learn from those mistakes. Uh, and but and we gained all some other groups, you know. And it's a pleasure being a part of Learn College and work with people like Derek Randall and, and uh, David Ellis and Tom Baker and Matthew Jones and the whole nine. They're, I mean, I'm, I'm I'm naming a few. John Pickering. I mean, this guy. People that have spent a lot more time in the field doing uh, this, this field justice and are uh, just amazing individuals in their own right. But we are not above ourselves to say that you know, we make mistakes, you know, and that we, we can't learn from other groups or can't collaborate and uh, say, you know, uh, we got a recording that's very anomalous that we can't send David and go, David can't send it back to us and go, oh, well, that's, uh, you know, that. A known subject, okay, and and I appreciate that about Tillamook Group because we really are grounded, I believe, and we all get along, and I think it's important for research groups in general. I think it's an important topic to talk about, and not just in this field, but there's tons of fields, uh, like you mentioned before, the paranormal field. There's tons of groups uh, out there that that just bicker back and forth, and where does it get you at the end of the day? Nowhere. It, it show us what you got. And let's compare notes and, and work together for the common good and for the common goal. I mean, uh, I can't wait for that day of discovery to share what we have and other groups have, like Lynn Proxy and us. And um, that, for me, is the icing on the, on the cake. Uh, I don't expect tomorrow to prove Sasquatch exists. What I do expect is to do the best I can, and for us as a group to do the best we can, and for the groups I'm associated to do the best they can to work together uh, and compare stuff and move forward and uh, rule out known stuff and, and keep the good stuff. I mean, it's uh, it, it kind of is rhetorical, but uh, I think people lose sight of this. Uh, it, to me, it's just second nature now because I have no other goal than to do what I do and work with the people I work with and, and collect data. I mean, I love it. It's a passion. And I know for most of us, it's a passion. And for many of the viewers out there and listeners, it's a passion. 
you love doing what you do, and you don't do it for uh, fame or anything else. You do it because you enjoy it. And uh, for many of us, like myself, that know these things exist, uh, it's more than just a passion. But it's also nothing we're going to uh, get offended when people approach us. So it's just, you know, it's phenomenal. And uh, I know the Tillman Group is moving in the right direction. Limb Project moving in the right direction. There's many groups moving in the right direction. And collaborating, to me, is key. It is absolute key. And we're doing that. Well, it's funny because, you know, we've got different people in different uh, degrees of, of belief or or because I have not had the confirmation experience yet, you know, and I talk about walking through that doorway of from are they to what are they, and I reserve it like 2% that everybody, every report and every uh, experience that, that people report as Bigfoot is misidentification or insanity, and and but but I but I am moved. You know, the 98 percent is is from like people like you, Shane, that that have and 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 then that go that have had an experience that there is no doubt in your mind that these things exist. You you had a sighting. Um, I need to, you know at some point I will have a sighting and I'll. Or, uh, or I won't, and die sad and lonely <laughs> up in the woods. But, uh, but, but uh, no. But it's it's uh, it's just fun. I, I I said a long time ago, it's like you know, bigfooting is is a passion, but it's also a hobby. It isn't my entire life. And I I decided, you know what, I'm going to go bigfooting. If I go out bigfooting with anybody else, I'm going to go out with people that I like. And uh, right. I, I can say that the people I like the people in our group. I like people on the Olympic project, but but our group, you know, is is uh, has a lot. Everybody brings value to the group. Um, sometimes we get a little hung. We have we, it's not without our conflicts, but uh, we have a you know if and and the and when you get into any group dynamic, you're going to have conflicts and personality stuff. So I'm, Sometimes I get up Correct. and uh, I, I try to stay out of it because it's like I don't. I think if we focus the same, people would focus the same amount of energy, take that energy and put it on research and you know instead of personality, um, the whole thing you know would we'll get to the the same the finish line faster by doing that than by going over here and having you know squabbles about this or squabbles about that. You know, it 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 just doesn't. Yeah. Uh, I don't think it adds anything to to bigfooting to all the the personality squabbles. You can agree to disagree, and again, I it's hopsquatch day, so I I have to give kudos to Guy Edwards for putting together an event where you can have people of different differing views in the same room, and um and not have fistfights break out or large arguments. You know, you can have right, good discussions right. with people and be friends with people that that uh, and you just have agree to disagree. Or that's been right. your experience. I'm not going to discount, you know, somebody else's experience because I haven't had it. That's um, that doesn't make any yeah. sense to me, and it doesn't get us anywhere. So, what, what you know, speaking of agreeing to disagree, uh, one of the things, and, and you'll probably agree with me here, but one of the things I found 
over the years very and specifically recently um, compelling or very interesting as far as data or something to utilize is women in the field. I have to tell you, uh, you know, when I was up Get in, up in Washington. <laughs> Get yourself no, some women to take data into the field. Yeah, the more women, the better. Uh, no, but seriously. <laughs> uh, no. Seriously, there's something to be said about um, and I haven't quite – I got my own ideas, right? But there's something to be said about women out in the field, uh, whether they're making vocalization or they're just present. Uh, there is something to be said about that, and I hope one day to be validated on my opinion, but, you know, there's something to be said about women out in the field uh, in groups. Uh, I don't know exactly what that means yet, but I think uh, we've seen enough – uh, stuff over the years and data and when women make vocalizations or are present, the activity when it's around is is sometimes profound. And uh, the responses from some of those vocalizations like Cindy, you know, during the original uh, stuff that happened in the Tillamook area was possibly brought on by her or, you know, and, uh, you know, uh, Shelly Covington, you know, when we were in Washington, was present during a, an episode up there. Uh, and there's multiple. I, it, it goes on and on and on. But some of the biggest events I've ever been involved in with in, in possible encounters or vocalizations or uh, events have been when you've had at least one woman in camp or more. And uh, some of the crappiest nights I've had, it's just when it's just the guys around. Um, now... Does that mean anything? I don't know yet, but it's just some, it's food for thought, and I, I thought I'd bring it up because it was discussed during the hot clock event, and um, I think it's, it's, no, I, I, it's something I agree. to be said that, there. Yeah. And and that that came up when back when I was going out on BFRO expeditions. There was a belief that women carry themselves differently, you know, uh, that if you got women and kids together, you could – you could almost guarantee that something was going to happen because it raised curiosity. There's a low threat, you know, and you would think that may, that kind of makes sense that most people out hunting, you know, that take up a hunter's posture um, are men. It, not mm-hmm. all of them. I know. Don't send me nasty emails if there are women hunters. I know that, but I'm saying in, if you're playing percentages and, and women hunters carry themselves differently than women or, or campers in general, that, Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe that's just the, they're seen as less of a threat to, you know. But we've had stuff happen um, when when it's been all guys. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't mean. But the right. interesting is that some of the stuff that you've had um, oh, that happened over the weekend, responses came from when a a female did a a call. <clears throat> And it seems exactly. like we got, a, you know, a faster or a uh, – and it'd be interesting to play out that, you know, the start to document um, who made the call was and, and their gender. is Do we right. – you know, to, to test that. And that's part of doing science is you come up with a hypothesis, you do some experiments, you test it, and you measure and, and see if your hypothesis – so if we have a hypothesis – so that's something we need to put on our list is we're going to do some very specific thing of that hypothesis. So, um, Right, but I, we'll, I would we'll love... We'll do that out in the field. 
Yeah, we need to. I would love to hear mm-hmm. from other groups or other researchers out there that are doing something similar. Maybe maybe they're way ahead of some of the ideas we're doing. You know, I don't know. Right. like I said, uh, they could be doing this already, and we have done some of this sort of research and 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 found some interesting things. But I I think there's something to that, uh, specifically uh, this time of year. Um, you know, I was talking to David Ellis the other day from the Olympic Project, and we were talking about the, the months of, of August through December being very vocal, vocal-oriented uh, recording months. Uh, you get some of your best recordings in those months. And so, I mean, that's, that's one thing, right? But you add maybe the female element to it, and I'm, I'm curious, you know, it, it's not a short project, it's a long project, right, or a long idea of, of mm-hmm. things to, to try and uh, implicate into your research, but you know what are the you know what are you going to find uh, and and uh, I just find it interesting to maybe uh, actually look at the data you know from uh, male to female vocalizations uh, as as you know humans uh, doing it and see what the responses are the percentages there you know I'm not sure anybody's really done that yet maybe they have and I'd love to see their data uh, but there is something you know and and I know I know. Historically, people have done some weird stuff, you know, <laughs> with with uh, you know the idea of that female was in camp, you know, whether menstruating or not, and all that. I get all that, but, but um, you know, I remember Adam Davis, uh, Adam Davies, up in you know when he was up at the OP, um, and we had done some research up there and had some really neat stuff happen. You know, there was females present, and he, you know, having worked with. Uh, primates in, I believe it was the Congo, you know, he was referring back to his his uh, experiences there, and he utilized the female presence at the OP to, to do some stuff and seemed to get some results. So it's just an interesting subject to talk about, and I hope down the road maybe to have a show on this and maybe discuss this further because it's a really interesting subject and maybe something to pursue down the road within one's research, you know, um, not every group has females in the group or not every group has males in the group, but I think that's a, an important component. And I agree. I think there's something, like I said, is my, and when I was involved in the BFRO and going, that that uh, hypothesis was put forward that it was, there, that there was more activity um, when there were females present than there were when there weren't. It was never measured, as to my knowledge, was ever you know tested um, with by uh, a scientific method. It was just kind of thrown out there as, yeah, we know you know it was anecdotal. We've had we've had something happen, and it seems like a lot of the time when something extraordinary happens, female are present. So. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a good. It's something interesting to to look into. I mean, it's you know, and, and it's funny because you said we we talked about uh, uh, August August September being some peak months, and I I mentioned that to to uh, my lady, and she was like talking about how you know elk rut, and maybe it's the Bigfoot rutting season, so that maybe that mm-hmm. is their the the season when they're and where they're, you know, they're usually pretty stealthy and maybe the males are, are calling, you know, showing their, their masculinity 
by by doing calls and stuff. So maybe there's a little, you know, there's some other compelling reason that overcomes their normal stealthiness during that that time frame. And I, I thought that was an interesting um, idea. So. Yeah, it's, it's very interesting. You know, those, those months, you know, I know people are, you know, say, well, yeah, August, you know, I get it. People are out uh, camping and it's the warmer months and all that. But there, there's more to it than meets the eye for me. Uh, there's more to it. The, August through December, and bringing to the winter months, in, especially here in the Pacific Northwest, there's more to it. You get the best vocals in these months. And I agree with David Ellis on that. You get the best vocals, but you get a lot of times a lot more and I think it's the best time to be out in some of these areas uh, in doing research uh, you know <laughs> December sucks a lot of times in, in the Potomac <laughs> Forest <laughs> it generally sucks but you know December, November you're you're just wet, you're getting rained on if you're not getting snowed on it's uh, not a good time to be out but, but we have get stuff happen, a lot yeah. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And uh, there's a lot less people around in those later months. But, you know, uh, there's something to be said about this time of year. And it's my favorite, personally, my favorite time to be out is from August through December. I just because, not just the vocalization, but because of past experiences. It's just a great mm-hmm. time to be out. And I know a lot of people around the country that have had experience will say, well, no, I mean, April, May. I know in the Olympics, you know, a lot of times things happen in, in the spring, you know. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, n- n- you know, but for me in the Tillamook area, I mean, per se, Mount Hood, it's always, you know, my experience happened, you know, my sighting happened in August. Um, and it was, you know, over two days. And amazing. So uh, there's something to be said about these latter months in my opinion. Uh, a lot of the reports I've taken in from not just Tillamook area, but the Mahood area have come from the month of August and September. What does that mean? I don't know. I hope to find out. Maybe there's something to it. Maybe there's not. So how would you go about, I mean, what do you? how do you test that? I mean, we've seen a lot of, like, data put together um, where, and there are spikes in particular times of, of year, you know, and then it takes two things basically to have a Bigfoot encounter: take a person and a Bigfoot. So, mm-hmm. um, and that's like the time. So, but but you would you would expect then that July, you know, there's a lot of activity, uh, human activity in the woods in say June and July in Oregon, and those aren't peak months where where August and September are. So there is there's something to what you're saying because there's you would expect it to be pretty even if it was just because there's more people out in the woods. You'd expect that to kind of plateau those months when there is a lot of human activity. And, uh, and then, and it, and it seems disproportionate that, that August and September have such, such a, are such, so much more active in, in terms of particularly audio. So I don't know mm-hmm. that's, yeah, yeah. There's something to that. It's a question for another day, and uh, I mean, and continuing researching uh, this subject, and just you know, it, it, compiling the data. You know, we're, mm-hmm. we're you know we're really doing some cool stuff, and it's it's leaning towards uh, some compelling stuff. But right now, you know, it's just compiling and doing what we're doing. And with having said that, we're down to the last couple minutes here. 
Gunner, do you want to close out the show? And uh, we'll uh, we'll call it a, a good weekend. <laughs> yeah, no, it was. I, I want to thank uh, all the members of our our Tillamook Forest Research Group that 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 put their time and effort into getting the presentation ready, and and uh, those that presented today, um, Jared, Shane, Larry, you did a great job of of, uh, of speaking and uh, representing our group. And uh, I had a lot of fun. And, I, again, thanks go out to Guy Edwards for putting on – it takes a lot of effort to put on uh, Offsquatch every month. And uh, we actually got – you know, we became the program because originally scheduled speaker um, had uh, failed on him, you know, when he was already scheduled. So – but I, I appreciate – uh, guy giving us the opportunity to uh, to come and speak and share stuff with people today and all the people that showed up at Hopsquatch today. We had a lot of fun, and uh, we had a great time out with our group this weekend in the woods. Um, having, you know, always, it's funny because we had Hopsquatch today, and I know that that uh, Jared and Cindy and Shane all woke up, up in our research area and made their way to two hot spots so um, <laughs> extraordinary efforts and uh shane on very little sleep so um i look forward to hearing the audio that you got this weekend but he has um always cool stuff in it and uh, i look forward to uh talking to all you monster x listeners again next sunday at 4 p.m pacific um check check us out we'll be uh back next weekend so thanks again for listening and thanks to our friends Jared and Larry for coming on and talking with us.